Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It is always shocking when it is revealed a crime was committed by a minor. When searching for their killer, investigators typically search for those who have patterns of violence and criminal activity. And while there are teens with a juvenile record, they don't typically fit the profile of a potential murder suspect. And this is supported by statistics. Only 7% of murders that occur in the United States are committed by teenagers and young children. Even the most experienced of investigators will admit to being shocked when it is revealed a murder has been carried out by a juvenile. An example of this is the murder of Skylar Neese. When 16-year-old Skylar Neese disappeared from Star City, West Virginia, investigators knew that her friends and classmates, Sheila Eddy and Rachel Schoaf, knew more than they were letting on. But they thought what the girls knew was about drugs, and they were covering up for an older acquaintance. However, investigators would be shocked when in January 2013, Rachel admitted that she and Sheila stabbed Skylar to death. It seemed beyond comprehension that two middle-class teenage girls would be capable of such a violent act. This is why cases like this garner worldwide attention. Heinous murders committed by teenagers this week are mysteriously listed. Number 5. Alisa Busmati Alisa Busmati had a rough start to life born to two teenage drug addicts, and by the time Alyssa was born, her father was in prison for assault, her mother having multiple run-ins with the law, including theft and drug possession. Alyssa's grandparents took custody of Alyssa and her three younger brothers in 2002, moving the siblings from a small cramped apartment in California to a large rural ranch-like property in St. Martin's, Missouri. Alyssa struggled with depression for a large portion of her life. She engaged in self-harm and had attempted to take her own life more than once by age 15. One attempt, having her committed for 10 days in a juvenile psychiatric facility for evaluation. Alyssa's grandparents took her to a psychologist for help and they prescribed her with antidepressants. And this medication did work for a while. And despite the setbacks in her early life, Alyssa was doing well in school, getting A's and B's. She had a good group of friends, and she would regularly attend a local church youth group. However, by mid-2009, Alyssa started to show more signs of mental disturbance. Alyssa's YouTube page described her hobbies as cutting herself and killing people. She posted a video where she tried to get two of her brothers to touch an electric fence. One of her Twitter messages read, quote, All I want in life is to find a reason for all this pain. Unquote. Two weeks before the murder, Alyssa's prescription of Prozac was increased. Whether this would have helped if happened earlier, whether this would have been enough, we will never know. Because two weeks later, a nine-year-old girl would be dead and a 15-year-old teen would spend the rest of her life in prison. 
In the days before the murder, Alyssa dug two graves near her home. It is believed these were for two of her younger brothers, but she later changed her mind. When on October 21, 2009, neighbour nine-year-old Elizabeth Otten came over for a play date. Elizabeth often went over to play with Alyssa and her siblings. On the night she was killed, she begged her mother Patricia to allow her to go to Alyssa's home, which was only four doors away. Elizabeth left at five, agreeing to return an hour later. When she failed to return home, Patricia knew something was wrong. Soon after Elizabeth arrived, Alyssa lured her into the nearby woods. She told Elizabeth that she had a gift to give her. The little girl would devastatingly find out this was not the case. Alyssa would slit Elizabeth's throat, strangle her and stabbed her in the chest. Alyssa would then bury Elizabeth in one of the graves she had dug for her brothers, covering her in mud and leaves. Alyssa would go inside into her room and immediately write on her online diary, quote, I just fucking killed someone. I strangled them and slit their throat and stabbed them and now they're dead. I don't know how to feel at the moment, but it was amazing. As soon as you get over the, oh my God, I can't do this feeling, it's pretty enjoyable. I'm kind of nervous and shaky though right now. Kay, I gotta go to church now. LOL. Unquote. Police would commence the search for Elizabeth in the last place she was seen, the neighbour's home, and they would question Alyssa on what she knew. Alyssa would mislead police into looking in the wrong place. Police became suspicious of Alyssa and her behaviour, and when they found her online diary entry detailing the murder, they arrested her, and she finally confessed. When asked why she killed Elizabeth, Alyssa replied, quote, I wanted to know what it felt like to kill someone, unquote. Due to the brutality of her crimes, Alyssa would be tried as an adult, accepting a plea deal to a lesser charge of second-degree murder to avoid the death penalty. Psychologists diagnosing her with being psychologically damaged and having borderline personality disorder. Alyssa took the stand to address Elizabeth's parents, quote, I know words can never be enough, and they can never describe how horribly I feel for all of this. If I could give my own life to get her back, I would. I'm sorry. Unquote. Elizabeth's parents remained silent and gave no reply. Alyssa would be sentenced to life in prison, with the chance of parole after 30 years. Elizabeth's mother, Patricia, felt the sentence was too light. She called Alyssa a monster and that she hated everything about her. Patricia sued Alyssa successfully for damages in a wrongful death lawsuit, settling for $5 million two years later. 2014, after getting a new attorney, Alyssa contended that she would not have accepted the plea deal if she knew about a pending US Supreme Court case that affected how the justice system should handle cases involving juveniles who had been charged with first-degree murder. However, the judge in the case denied Alyssa's lawyer's request for a new and lighter sentence. She'll be eligible for parole in 2042 when she is 48 years old. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Number four, Kathleen Boyer. 16-year-old Kathleen Boyer and 18-year-old Kayla Van Wert were best friends. That was before their tight friendship fell apart over 19-year-old George DeJesus, Kayla's boyfriend and baby daddy to her one-year-old son. Kayla and George had a toxic relationship. Just hours before her death, George was arrested for dragging Kayla by her hair and punching her in the face at her mother's home. Only hours later, Kayla would message Kathleen on Facebook Messenger. She accused her younger friend of sleeping with her boyfriend. The messages then escalated until Kathleen challenged Kayla to a fistfight. The meeting place was agreed for later that night, May 29, 2016, at the corner of the 800 block of McKenna Court in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Eyewitnesses would later state Kayla seemed to have the upper hand in the brawl. That was until suddenly she started screaming, she's stabbing me, over and over. Police were called, however Kathleen and the witnesses had fled the scene before they arrived. Kayla would be found with stab wounds to both her neck and chest, and sadly she would later die in hospital. Kathleen would openly admit to being responsible in a Facebook post. She posted the following quote, I'm wrong. I'll admit it and I'm going to turn myself in. But it is what it is at the end of the day. Got to face the consequences. No remorse. Unquote. Kathleen Boyer would be arrested and charged as an adult with criminal homicide. At trial, Kathleen's defence claimed that Kathleen stabbed Kayla in self-defence. However, the Facebook messages between Kathleen and Kayla told another story. The messages revealed that it was Kathleen who initiated the fight, and while Kayla did agree, she never mentioned bringing a weapon or even threatening Kathleen with a weapon. Kathleen would later admit that she did not stab Kayla in self-defence, but she did indeed intend to kill her that night. July 3rd, 2017, Kathleen pled guilty to murder in the third degree. She was sentenced to 7 to 20 years in prison. She will be eligible for parole in 2023 when she is 23 years old. Number 3. Aidan Zelma. 15-year-old Aidan Zelma met 10-year-old Kaya Campbell when their parents began dating. Aidan and his mother would quickly move in with Kaya and her father, making them a blended family. On July 7, 2017, Aidan and Kaya left the home together to walk to the store. Aidan would later tell police the pair were going to a store to steal Pokemon cards for Kaya, as he destroyed some of hers during a disagreement. But they were allegedly unsuccessful in their mission, and they headed back home together. However, hours later they had not returned, and Kaya's father reported them both missing. Police quickly found Aiden, and he would tell police that on the journey home it started raining. 
and the pair started arguing about whether to walk back or wait out the storm. They ended up waiting for the rain to stop, but on the walk back, Aidan turned around and Kaya was gone. He told police he was frightened to come home without her, and he had been desperately trying to find her. Police asked Aidan to show him the route they had taken, but the areas he took them to, it didn't make sense. According to the police report, quote, Aidan was told his story did not make sense, and he kept telling us that was what happened. I asked Aidan if he did something to Kaya, and he denied it. Unquote. One of the main discrepancies in Aidan's story was there was no storm on that day. Throughout the night, police conducted a wide search that included nearby bodies of water. By 1.30 the next afternoon, an Amber Alert was issued. Unfortunately, this would be cancelled only four hours later. A neighbour contacted police to report finding a young girl's half-naked and beaten body in a wooded drainage ditch only one and a half miles from where she was last seen. The medical examiner determined Kaya had died from blunt force trauma. She had a number of horrific injuries, including open lacerations on her head, as well as skull fractures. A medical examiner declared her death was, quote-unquote, less than accidental. Kaya was naked from the waist down, and it was evident she had been sexually assaulted. DNA was present on her body, and it was a family's worst nightmare when it was revealed who it belonged to. 15-year-old Aidan Zelma was arrested soon after and charged with first-degree murder after deliberation, first-degree murder by a person of trust, two counts of felony murder, one count of sexual assault on a child, and two counts of felony sexual assault. According to the indictment and due to the severity of the crime, it was announced that Aidan would be tried as an adult. February 1st, 2019, Aidan accepted a plea deal to first-degree murder. In exchange, the other murder charges and sexual assault charges were dropped. And on March 11th, 2019, Aidan was sentenced to life in prison, with eligibility for parole after 30 years. Judge Sharon Holbrook told Kaya's family members that she knew nothing she could say would heal the hurt, but she hoped the way the community came together to help find Kaya and remember her would bring them some solace. She then directed her words towards Aidan and said only he could define who he was going to become and whether he will, quote-unquote, prove everyone wrong, but that would require accountability and work. Aidan Zelma will be eligible for parole in 2049 when he is 47 years old. Number 2. Kevin Watkins. February 3, 2018, Mackin, Georgia. 16 year old Kevin Watkins was a gamer, preferring his Xbox. Though he was over the internet connection slowing down while he was gaming, so he had what he thought was the ultimate plan. He would change the Wi-Fi password so only he could use it, essentially locking his mother and siblings out of the network. This was immediately noticed by Kevin's 13-year-old brother, and he did what kids do. He went and told his mother, Latoya Watkins... Latoya, wanting to teach Kevin a lesson, disconnected the Wi-Fi router and brought it into her bedroom. This enraged Kevin. He followed his mother into her bedroom and aggressively confronted her. 
Concerned for her mother's safety, Kevin's 20-year-old sister Alexis ran after them and she grabbed Kevin. Kevin would then turn his attention and anger onto his older sister and the two started physically brawling. It didn't seem like a serious fight at first, but then Kevin got Alexis in a chokehold and refused to let go. Latoya attempted to pull Kevin off Alexis, but was unsuccessful. Latoya called police and paramedics for help. Kevin's 13-year-old brother would also call the police after he too could not remove his brother's arm from around Alexis's neck. He would tell 911 that Kevin was crazy. Police and paramedics would arrive on the scene 10 minutes later to find Kevin still choking Alexis. At this point, he had had her in the chokehold for 15 minutes. Paramedics attempted to revive Alexis, but unfortunately, she would be pronounced dead later at the hospital. But unfortunately, she would be pronounced dead later at the hospital, leaving behind a fiancé and a three-year-old son. During the summer of 2019, Kevin Watkins waived his right to a jury trial and opted to have a judge hear his testimony instead. The trial lasted two days and included testimony from a deputy who said he found the teen choking his sister when they arrived at the scene. The defence argued he never intended to kill his sister. However, the prosecution argued that he did that he intentionally chose to put her in a chokehold, which resulted in her death. August 2019, Kevin Watkins was found guilty of felony murder and aggravated assault. He was sentenced to life in prison. Kevin sobbed as the judge handed down her sentence. His only words were, I'm sorry. Bibb County Superior Court Judge Verda Colvin condemned the adults in Kevin's life that let the teen down and should have given him the tools to cope with his anger. Quote, In this household, chaos was empowered. In this household, the ability to ignore and follow corrective discipline was empowered. Unquote. Court Judge Colvin called her decision, quote, the most difficult thing I've had to do since I took the bench in April of 2014. Unquote. Number 1. Boy A and Boy B Due to their age, not much is known about these perpetrators. All is known that they were 13 years old when they planned and brutally murdered their classmate, 14-year-old Arna Kriegel, at an abandoned farmhouse in Dublin, Ireland. Boy A and Boy B are now the youngest people to be convicted of murder in Irish history. On the evening of May 18, 2018, Boy B lured Anna out of her family home by telling her that Boy A wanted to meet her at a nearby park. Anna had a crush on Boy A, so she agreed to go with him. Little did Anna know that within 40 minutes of leaving the safety of her home, she would be dead. Surveillance cameras would capture the two walking together towards an abandoned house on a farm. Here, Boy A was lying in wait in a disguise of a hockey mask and knee pads and carrying a murder kit that he and Boy B had spent the last month putting together. Boy A would then sexually assault Anna, while Boy B watched before killing her. Both boys then fled the scene together. When Anna's mother realised her daughter left with Boy B, she was concerned. 
She sent Anna text messages demanding that she return home immediately. However, these messages would go unanswered, and Anna's mother would report her daughter missing to police. Anna's body was found in the farmhouse three days later. She was found naked except for a pair of socks with a ligature around her neck. The medical examiner determined that Anna had died from blunt force trauma to the head and neck. The suspected murder weapons, a stick and a concrete block, was found at the scene close to Anna's body. Both were stained with Anna's blood. The medical examiner would write in their report that there were bruises, abrasions and scratches all over the young girl's body. That she would have suffered from a very violent death where she fought for her life. That while there was evidence Anna put up a struggle, she may have been unconscious during the sexual assault. Police would interview both boy A and boy B and their conflicting stories involving their whereabouts that night did not make sense. Police were also compiling compelling circumstantial evidence against the 13-year-old boys. Phone internet searches on both boys' phones for abandoned places in Lucan. Boy A had blood on his boots and injuries that he claimed were a result of a random assault by two men at the park. Most damning was semen matching Boy A's DNA, which was found on Anna's top at the scene and his DNA was on her neck and on both ends of the long piece of insulation tape that was wrapped around her neck. This was the surveillance footage showing Boy B with Anna only minutes before she was murdered. It was an open and shut case for the prosecution. Both Boy A and Boy B were charged with murder, with Boy A also facing charges for sexual assault. The case went to trial in June 2019, and both boys were ultimately convicted. Boy A was found guilty of aggravated assault and sentenced to life imprisonment with a review period of 12 years. Boy B received a 15-year sentence with a review after eight years. What would you like to see mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Please search Mysteriously Listed on Facebook. Like the page so you don't miss an episode. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search Mysterious List. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Research, additional writing, hosting and production is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 